Um, but this, this series, I was telling uh, CJ, CJ was leading worship for us this morning, which he did a great job. I love CJ. Um, and him and I were sitting, and I said, I have logjam brain this week because I have been thinking about this series for a long time. I have all of these things that have been like, it's like I have a junk drawer in my brain, and I'm like rummaging through going, oh, yeah, that's really good. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that book. Um, and really, the beginning of the series started with a, a desire for, and our team has really been sensing, that we need to be people who follow Jesus and that can discern truth in the times that we're living in right now. Discernment is vital for the people of God right now. And so we started saying, well, maybe we do a truth and discernment series. Maybe we talk about uh, the importance of, of truth and all of that, all of that, and Really, what we started talking about at some point was uh, creeds. So there are creeds throughout history, the, the Apostles' Creed and all of these things. And these are statements uh, that the church, at some point, whenever they came up against the time where they were like, I don't know if we, we fully agree on the same things, that they would have a council, they'd have a big meeting, and they would say, okay, can we agree on these main theological points? And so it's things like, who is Jesus? What's the Trinity, you know? Uh, what's the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? What's his job? And all of these things, what's the, you know, is, is Scripture something that we can rely on? And as leadership here in the church, we've really been sensing that this is one of those times in history where we need to come around the major tenets of our faith and create some clarity in some very confusing times. So this series is going to be a little bit different than normal. Uh, today's uh, sermon's going to be just a little bit different than normal. We've been uh, doing expository preaching, uh, just really unpacking uh, the verses in, in Galatians, and it's been really awesome. I think we've been building a foundation uh, for, for gospel-saturated life, gospel-foundation living, uh, which I think is so much of the Lord to give us that foundation before we dive into this series. But this series, we're going to nerd out just a little bit. <laughs> um, I am a nerd. I don't, I don't know if you guys know that, but I am a nerd. Um, I, I, went to, I went to art school. Like, I grew up, I, liked, I loved, you know, drawing, and I loved drawing, uh, like, comic books, and that's why I went to art school. But before I went to art school, I was in engineering school, and I made it through uh, calculus two, I think. I was at differential, differential equations, and I could not pass chemistry 80. So I was like, either I'm not supposed to be an engineer or I'm going to be a math major or something. Like, my brain just couldn't work with chemistry. Um, but it worked with math for some weird reason. And, uh, and I was recently uh, reading a book on uh, the importance of calculus because I'm a nerd. Um, and, and as I was reading it, I was going, oh, that's interesting. And I thought, gosh, you know what? I don't remember how to do calculus anymore. That seems like a bummer. And uh, so I, I bought a, a calculus book. And every morning I have my quiet time, I read, and then I do some calculus problems because I just feel like I need to remember how to do like integrals and, you know, like, again, I mean, I'm just a nerd. And my kids found out that I was doing calculus for fun and they were like, what is wrong with you, dad? Like, you're just for fun, you know? So this series, I'm just going to apologize ahead of time. It's a bit nerdy. So it's, we've been expository preaching. Today's going to look a little bit more like teaching. We're going to deep dive into some ideas. We're going to talk about some things like postmodernism and some of those things um, because we think it's really important for us in the discernment of the times that we are living in. And that leads us to 
our section of Scripture for the day. So if you've got your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 12. And we're going to start in verse 54. And Jesus, he's talking to the crowds, which means he's talking to us. And I think as we are listening to the words of Jesus, we need to posture our heart to listen and say, what are you saying to us today? So Jesus said this, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites. Jeez. <laughs> Take it easy. You know, like, can you soften that a little bit? You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Jesus is talking about discerning the times that we are in, and it's vitally important. It's vitally important for us to know the times that we're living in. Because I have a little bit of bad news for us this morning. We have a problem in our society. I don't know if you're aware of it. I don't know if you're aware, but we have a problem in our society right now. And it's not just for outside of the church. We have a problem inside of the church as well. I was reading a study by Barna that said people in America, um, the, the amount of people in America that have a biblical mindset is about 1%. 1% of Americans have a biblical mindset, and they defined it like this, which I think is pretty balanced. The biblical mindset is this, absolute moral truth exists. That's very controversial these days. <laughs> we'll talk about that. Absolute moral truth exists. The Bible is completely inerrant. Satan is real, not symbolic. A person cannot earn his way into the kingdom of God through good works, which we talked a lot about in Galatians. Jesus Christ lived a sinless life on earth, and God is the supreme creator of the heavens and the earth and reigns over the whole universe today. That statement that I just read is only believed by 1% of Americans. Half of the, those people... So if you look at the ages of 18 and under, it's half of 1% of people that believe that. So it got cut in half in a very short amount of time. We have a problem. Eight out of 10 kids that grow up in the church, they don't come back when they're adults. They grow up in the church and they don't come back. This is a problem. One little note in all of that data that I actually found pretty encouraging was this. If a child grows up in a family where the mom and the dad are committed to God and they come to church regularly, the chances of that kid growing up and going to church is actually 95%. It absolutely shifts the entire game. So there's good news in there. But for those of us that are parents, we need to know the next generation, even those of us who are not parents, we have the next generation around us all the time. And our job is to hand them a faith that they could carry to the next generation. And that eight out of 10 uh, young people that walk away from Jesus, primarily what they say is they go to college, they're asked questions that they didn't know answers to, and it made them very much question their faith. We need to be the place where people can ask hard questions, and this is where this sermon series came from. We need to be the place that say, okay, if you don't know why it's reliable to trust Scripture, 
let's help each other out here. Let's have some conversation about it because scripture is reliable. It is very reliable to set your life on, to set your moral compass by. But if you hear from a, a professor that that's not the case, it can really knock you off, knock you off of your faith. You know, I don't know how to say that. I'm saying that really stupid. Um, it could really knock you down. And our job as a church is to create root systems in people that are reliable, that are true, because our faith is reliable. Our faith is true. And there is a ton of, of data backing that up. So we're going to be diving through a lot of that in the coming weeks. So we have to discern what's going on. Jesus warns us to discern what's happening uh, because we have some very serious times that are coming. Um, my wife and I lived in Hawaii uh, for, for a season. Uh, we were really sacrificing for the Lord. And um, we're living in Hawaii. And, um, and, uh, and we were hearing some, some history of Hawaii. And we had one, one of the times we were there, they had a tsunami warning, which is a thing in Hawaii. It's like... It's like it's, it's a thing where you could hear the, 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 the warning and you go, okay, all right, we got to get away from the beach, you know. Um, and in 1946, there was a tsunami that hit Hilo. And this was before they had any sort of early warning system. And if you know anything about tsunamis, as it's coming, one of the last things that happens is all of the water gets sucked out of the bay or the beach or wherever it is, and you'll see the water recede a lot more than normal. And the locals in 1946, they saw the water receding out, and they saw all these fish flopping around on the ground. They saw all these seashells, and they're like, interesting, let's go collect that, you know? And fishermen were down there going, this is just literally fish in a barrel. This is easy, you know? <laughs> like, just throw these fish in, you know, that are flopping around into, into a net. Kids were going down, and they were collecting seashells. They're like, this is so amazing. They didn't know that a huge wave was coming their way. 160 people died in that tsunami. And really from that point on, people started asking themselves, how can we figure out an early warning system for tsunamis? So now they have buoys that are way out in the ocean. And when they detect a wave that's bigger than normal, that alert comes in and says, hey, a tsunami is on its way. It should be here in, you know, in, in 10 hours or so. So get ready, you know. And they have that early warning system. I started thinking through the times that we're living, living in, and I can't help but feel a little bit like we're those people that are going out and collecting shells a little bit, going, oh, this is interesting. This is kind of a weird time. And really what we have coming toward us, and I don't know what it is, but I feel like the Lord, for those who are really sensitive to the Spirit, and I've been hearing a lot of people that say, yeah, we, we sense that. We sense that there's something that's brewing in the world around us. But we Christians should be prepared for that. Jesus said, you should pay attention to the times that you're in. So what are some early warning signs? Well, I started looking through that, and this is when Nerd Ryan comes out. Um, I was looking at some of the early warning signs, some of the things that have actually been going on for uh, a generation or so. Uh, one of those is a mindset that really it's, finds itself leaking into the church all the time, and it's called postmodernism. And postmodernism, it's very interesting. Uh, there are a lot of different ways to, to explain it. There's a lot of different ways to, to look at it. Um, but really, modernism was this time that came out right around the Reformation. And you've got the Reformation where people are taking back the Word of God. They're listening to the Word of God for themselves. 
Uh, there is the enlightenment that's going on. So people are inventing things. There's art being created. There's an explosion of culture that happens right around, you know, like 1500 or so. So you've got this big explosion of culture that's going on, and it really lasts up until about the 1900s. And we could think back on you know, maybe the 20s or 30s, the, the modern man, you know, the modern, modern mankind that's building rocket ships. We're building things together. We believe that we could do things together. That is modernism. Postmodernism really starts to come in and come to fruition fully in the 1960s. And it is a turn against modernism, and it's a cynical movement. It's one that's going, I don't know, like, yes, we've set up all these things, but we have wars going on and all this stuff that's happening. Maybe we need to just be free. Maybe we just need to do our own thing. Maybe we need to turn away from this idea that there is truth, that there is something to guide our lives. We need to reject that for postmodernism. Postmodernism really comes to fruition in phrases that we hear all the time. You do you. Very postmodern idea. Live your truth very postmodern idea. Uh, and all of this is really, it starts to, to, to define morality by offense. So you don't really know if anything's right or wrong until somebody gets offended and you go, oh, I guess that's wrong, you know, because we don't have any moral foundation. This, is, this has been rejected in postmodernism. So we go, oh, I guess you're offended, but I guess that's wrong, you know. It really, really falls apart into tribalism in so many ways. Like, you belong to that group, and that group thinks that way. And you belong to that group, and that group thinks that way. This is all over the place, right? <laughs> he who has eyes to see. You know, like, if we see it, it's like, okay, yeah, we see that happening all over the place. The problem is, with, postmodernism, with postmodernism, the problem comes when you confront real truth, <laughs> Reality is kind of pesky to the postmodernist. You're like, oh, I don't know if I want to talk about that. You know, like a real, something real, something that I could like, that's not dependent on the, the group thinking, like actual truth. I don't like that. Lately, actually saying the word truth is very offensive to people. If you've been paying attention, you go, oh, I don't know if that's true. They go, what do you mean by true? Is it your truth or my truth? You know, this is, this is the moment that we're living in, and this honestly is one of those early warning buoys that's been going off for, for a, a couple of decades, honestly, if we're being, if we're being real about it. We, we could have seen this thing coming, and it's coming to fruition in our culture in a way that's actually creating another religion. And really, I think when you remove transcendent truth, what starts to happen is you build new morality on the shifting sands of moral, the morality of the culture. And something that was right and okay five minutes ago, no longer okay anymore. Why? Because all of a sudden we've decided we're offended by it. And it's causing a shifting sand of moral chaos that we can all feel, right? It's not just me, right? We can feel the chaos of our times. You can't depend, you're like, what was okay last week is not okay now. This is the fruit of uh, postmodernism. And this is something that we have to be aware it sneaks into the church. When we have an attitude of, oh, you do you, and you do it, you know, whatever you want to do, that's fine. That is a postmodernist mindset that is leaking into the church, and it can actually be very dangerous. The other early warning sign that I've been paying attention to for a little while, and I know a lot of people in culture have been looking at this, but the secularization of the West 
is another one of those things that we could see its full fruition in the times that we live in now. And this idea that you can remove God from government, from movies, from culture, that you could remove God and any reference to God from any sphere of the public and have a perfectly secular society, I think is a fantasy. It's not true. When you empty a society of God-given, God-grounded truth, you are asking that gap to be filled with something. You are creating a vacuum that is now being filled by a lot of postmodern thought, by a lot of things that right now, honestly, when you look at it, you go, that's a new religion. You look at America, you go, we have this new religion that's starting to seep its way into everything that we do. And as Christians, we have to know this is happening. We have to understand the times that we're in. We have to discern the times that we're in. Jesus is going, this is vital. This is really important. You hypocrites, you could look at the sky and you could say, oh, there's rain coming, but you do not discern the times that you're living in. Now, I think when you look at the world uh, around you, I think here's the, the thing. I think you could fall into two different camps. Um, I think there's one camp uh, that's pretty, pretty common these days. And this is going to sound right when I first say it, but we're going to have to unpack this idea just a little bit. There's a prevailing thought among Christians right now that we simply need to trust God with what's happening in the world and not pay attention because it will be too discouraging. It'll be bad for our health. It'll be all these things. And I get that. There is some truth in that. And I would say the truth that's in that is, yes, if you are allowing yourself an addiction to the news, if you're allowing yourself to go, oh my gosh, another horrible thing is happening every single day, which it's, it's true, a lot of horrible things are happening. Um, when you allow yourself to get into that place and you lose track of who Jesus is, you lose track of your friends and your family, and you're just honed in on this obsession with what's going on in the news, that is not helpful. It's not helpful. But I think on the other side, if you are hiding yourself from what's going on in the news, you have to ask yourself this question. This is what I felt like the Lord was saying to us today. Are you avoiding the news because it takes your eyes off of Jesus? Which that would be a good reason to avoid the news. Or are you ignoring the world because it's poking at an idol in your heart in a painful way? I think I've had to sift through this a lot. I go, oh, I don't like to hear that. Why? Well, maybe I have an idea that I have an entitlement to be comfortable all the time in life. And I go, ooh, that hits. <laughs> That's not very comfortable. Maybe you hear about what's going on in the financial world and you go, oh, I don't want to hear about that because I got a pretty big 401k and I have a pretty big savings account and if inflation gets worse, it's really gonna hurt me in a place that I have been building a lot of identity in. And this hits all of us and I think we have to look at, are we avoiding the news because we don't wanna be discouraged because it's actually highlighting something that's not healthy in our heart. There's another kind of Christian that I've been noticing lately. Christian who the Christian who understands the seriousness of the season that we lived in, that we live in, who is informed with their eyes open, but they are not shaken. Christians who pay attention, but aren't shaken. 
I think this, this is the middle line that I think we need to try to walk through, guys. I really do. I think we have to walk through understanding the times we live in are hard. The times that we live in are showing us that the world and the system of the world is not something that we can rely on at all. And we've had a couple of generations where we've really relied on the system and it's worked out and we do this and then this happens. If that changes, does that knock you off of your faith? That's not the news's fault. That's our fault. That is our fault. Because we have to be a grounded people. We have to be people that are grounded, that we are not shaken. Jesus said, you're going to hear about wars and rumors of wars and pestilence. He's not laying out a, a rosy situation at all. But he says, you need to hear about all these things and do not be alarmed. Don't be shaken to your core when you hear about these things. This is our job in this season. Alec was uh, talking to our team, and he was just kind of talking about how uh, things have been going in his life. And he's like, I've been, you know, up against a lot of things that have been personally challenging for him. And he said, as I was looking at all that, he said, I started paying attention to the fact that Jesus asked Peter to walk out on the water while there is a storm raging. And he said, the, the, the storm is still going. The waves are still chaotic. The, the, the wind is still blowing. And Jesus says, come walk on the water. Now, this is different than Moses parting, having the waters, the seas parted in front of him. So Moses had dry land to walk on. This is different. This is Jesus saying, come tread on the waves. Come tread on the chaos. Come tread on the storm and come out to me. Keep your eyes on me, but you could walk on top of this storm. That's different. And when he shared that, it was like my mind was blown. I was going, yes, yes, I think that's what we're called to do. We are called to tread on the chaos. We are called when Jesus says, hey, come out and walk. He's not going to go, but also I'm going to make the sea nice and glassy and mellow for you. Then you could walk on it so you're not scared, you know. No, the storm is still raging and Jesus is there and he's going, Peter, come to me. Come walk on the waves. And I think that's what we need to do in this season. I think we need to be a discerning people. I think we need to be a people that are calm in the inner being of our heart because we know Jesus, because we have something better in us than what the world is telling us to rely on. And that is where we're going to stick out a lot. Now, I started writing down some things. It's funny. This is stuff that I'll, I'll, I've been saying in all the... Um, all the, sun, all the services, that I'm going to do a podcast uh, probably tomorrow at some point. I'll do a deep dive because I'm telling you probably 20% of what I wrote down. I was going, man, I have a lot more to say. Um, talking a lot more about postmodernism, the situation that we're in, all of that stuff. So I'm going to do a podcast tomorrow about that. Um, but one thing that I want us to look at, so when you're looking at the times that we're in, we're looking at this chaotic sort of thing. We need a framework for discernment that helps us to understand the things that we're up against. Uh, one of those, and I won't be able to talk about it too much today, but the counterfeit gospel framework. So when you see an ideology or something that's coming along that's in this structure, that there's a creation, a fall, a sacrifice, and redemption, and it doesn't involve this, then you know you've got a counterfeit gospel in front of you. You've got something that's hitting that same area as the gospel. The other framework is the deception framework, and that's what I want to talk about this morning. In Genesis chapter 3, 
we see the first time that mankind is deceived by the enemy. And you look at the times that we're in, and we could go, oh, wow, what unique times we're in. Yes, we are in unique times, but no, we are not in unique times. We're living out this thing that's been happening since the beginning of time. And Genesis chapter 3 is the moment of deception where the enemy comes to Eve, and he tells her three main lies that we still see at work in the world around us today. Lie number one, he says in verse 1, chapter 3, he says, did God really say... Did God really say? He's denying God's word. He's putting questions in Eve's mind about what God said. The enemy does that today, right? Because our whole culture just trusts the Bible. No, no question, right? <laughs> no, no, of course not. We're, we're deceived. There are many, many forces coming against us going, did God really say that? Come on. Did he really say that? Maybe, maybe there's some nuance that you're missing. Maybe there's some, like, backstory that you're not getting. And the enemy always implants this question. He doesn't come out and say, God's lying to you. He goes, is God telling you the truth? You know, he's sneaky about it. He makes your mind spin and go, oh, maybe I can't rely on that. Did God's word really say that? Did it really do that? It's bringing into question the character of God. Lie number two in verse four. You will not surely die. You will not surely die. This is denying God's judgment. This is denying the judgment of God. And we don't like to talk about the judgment of God. I get it. I know it's not fun. I don't like talking about it either. But it is a real thing. It is a true thing. There are consequences here in this earth for what we do and what we say. There's consequences afterward if you don't have the saving grace of Jesus in your life covering those things up. Those are real things. And the judgment of God is a true thing. And the snake is, the, the serpent is taking away the urgency of sin. He's going, oh man, you're not going to die. That's not true. That's, you're not gonna, that's, God's being melodramatic. Just take it easy. You're not going to die. No big deal. Just, just eat of the fruit. It's, it's not going to hurt you. You're going to be fine. And it leads him to the third lie, which is this. You will be like God. You will be like God. Denying the authority of God and imparting it to self. <laughs> Do we see that in today's culture? everywhere, right? Like if we're in the postmodern world, we are really lifting ourselves up to the place of God. We are the arbiters of what's true. And if I don't feel good about it, then it must not be true. But the Bible paints a very different picture. We do have something outside of ourselves to rely on for truth because we are fickle and we are not a good source of truth. If you ask me my opinion about something now, it will be different because I'm hungry right now and I'm going to be more grumpy right now. If you ask me in, a, in, in an hour after I have some tacos, I'm going to feel great. What kind of arbiter of truth am I if I don't have the authority of Scripture? Nothing. I don't have anything. <laughs> and this is the deception. You will be like God, as if God's threatened by us, as if we're taking some ground that's His. And it's a lie. We are not going to be like God. We are not going to be like God. That is a lie. And this is the deception that we see around us everywhere. And when we have eyes to see and ears to hear, we could listen to something even in the news or an opinion by somebody that we might respect or whatever. 
And if it's not coming from a Christian, Christian perspective, it should ping us and go, ooh, that doesn't sound right. That sounds a little off. Because really the most important thing we can do in discerning the truth is handle the truth. Alec said this again. I was like, Alec, you should have just preached this message because I keep referring to him. Um, Alec uh, was talking about how when, uh, uh, you know, a bank teller or somebody works at a bank, when they're trying to, to discern whether uh, the, the money in front of them is counterfeit, when they go through a training, there's a training that helps train people to understand, is this real money or is this counterfeit money? And you would think that the training would involve putting a lot of counterfeit money in front of people going, look at this, see this little trick that they're doing? And, you know, if you do this, the ink kind of is a little funny. And No, what they do for the training is they give you the real thing. They give you money to handle and feel and smell and listen to. How does it sound when you crinkle it up? What does it do when you roll it up? What, do you do? what does it do when you open it? And they just get incredibly familiar with the real thing. So then when a counterfeit bill comes, they go, this isn't right. This seems a little funny. This paper doesn't feel quite right, you know? This is our calling in this season. And I think, again, if, this is, if discerning the truth is purely a political thing, then we're, we're trying to point out whether something is true or not or the deceptions. And those things are valuable and they're good. I think it's good for us to know. But at the end of the day, if we are not handling truth all the time, we are not going to spot the counterfeit. So what does that look like? Well, it looks like a gospel-centered, biblically-saturated life. If there's one habit that you, if you don't have this habit and, and like, let me rephrase that. Sorry, third service, trying to figure out how to word things. If, if this is not a habit in your life, I would highly encourage you, make this a habit in your life. Read the Word of God every day, even if it's just a little bit. Handle a little bit of truth every day. It will start to seep into who you are. It really will. Spend time with the Holy Spirit. Spend time in prayer. Spend time listening for the voice of God and discerning that among the myriad of other voices that are out there. This is vitally important for a follower of Jesus, especially in the times that we live in right now. And the last thing is, be persistent in being part of community. Church is not one of these things that we come and it's like a club where we do all of our favorite things. No, church is so much more important than that. It's the place where iron sharpens iron. It's the place where you come and you're challenged and you're encouraged. You worship with other people and you build that foundation with those around you and you link arms with other people. Because if the enemy takes one person down, one kind of person down, it's the loner. It's the person that step, steps out away from community. And I'm an introvert. <laughs> I don't love tons of people. Like this, this, is like, this is something I do as a spiritual practice in my life because I know it's vitally important. It's very important. And maybe you're like me. There's a couple of people I know in the last few years that have walked away from Jesus, who've walked away from the truth, and most of it was built on a foundation of them not coming to church. And after a while, they're like, oh, I'm starting to read this book, and I heard this interesting podcast, and they're not bouncing anything off of any other believer. They're building their own sort of theology, their own sort of like, this is what I feel comfortable with. And eventually, it moves them from a progressive Christianity into a post-Christianity. And I've seen it happen time and time again. 
And we cannot be the place where that is the norm. We can't. This has to be the place where iron sharpens iron, where there's a little tension. Sometimes you'll hear a message you may not like. And maybe today you're like, I hate this, Ryan. That's fine. That's okay. Talk about it with your, your, with your life group. Talk about it with the people in your life. But we need to sharpen each other. It's not just for fun. This is important. And this is the season where we need roots and a, a healthy root system in the Lord like never before. I'm going to finish with this. Um, we are primarily in a spiritual battle. So is our battle against uh, postmodernism? Well, kind of. <laughs> is our battle against the other political side? No. Is the, the battle against our neighbor who doesn't think like us? Is the battle? No. The battle is not against flesh and blood, but it, it's against the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And this is going to be very helpful for the times that come. This is going to be very helpful for us to have empathy toward each other. This is going to be really helpful in us discerning the times that are in front of us. Jesus said this verse, and I love, I mean, the thing I love about the Word of God, you know, the Bible says it's living and active. You could read a verse a thousand times, and then one day you read it again and you go, I never saw that before. <laughs> it's just beautiful. And a couple of months ago, I had that happen. And um, this, is a, this is a verse about spiritual warfare uh, and about, uh, the, about the, um, de the demonic realm. <laughs> uh, so it's not super fun. Um, but it's one of those things that as I was reading it, I feel like I've always read it in a certain way. And then the Lord showed me a different way. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to read Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 43, and it says this. When the unclean spirit or demonic spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the person is worse than the first. Now, this is a spiritual principle I, I do believe in. I do believe that as individuals, if you have redemption, you have uh, like, a, like a freedom in, your, in, in a certain area of your life, you're, you find yourself redeemed in a certain area, you're walking in freedom, you need to fill that gap with the word of God, with worship, with, with prayer. You need to fill that gap with something because it's not just about cleaning up your, your attitude and your actions. When you just clean up your attitude and your actions, you actually have an empty space that eventually gets filled with something even worse. So this is a good warning for us. But what I never paid attention to is how Jesus ended this. He said, so also... Will it be with this evil generation? I think we really are witnessing a demonic oppression and something demonic in the world around us. I think that we are witnessing a generation that is being filled with something that's not of God. It's far beyond just not logical postmodern thought. It, there's something else that's happening. 
And when you pay attention, you go, there are some evil things happening. Can a culture be possessed by something demonic? Jesus would say, yes. <laughs> and this is really bad news if you don't have Jesus, right? You go, oh my gosh, we're up against the demonic? I've seen some of those movies. That's scary. <laughs> That's hopeless. What can we do against such a strong thing? But for those of us who follow Jesus, it should be the best news. Because we go, oh, I know what to do with that. <laughs> I know what to do with that. The authority of Jesus pushes that right out in whatever sphere of influence that I have. For us to be a people that tread on the chaos that we're living in, we have to have the right spiritual attitude toward what we're seeing. And it's not just ignoring what is being seen. It's not just ignoring it and putting your head down. That's not what it is. It's for seeing it and going, wow, the enemy looks really strong, but I know that Jesus is stronger. The more overwhelmed you get by en the enemy, let yourself be more overwhelmed by the power of Jesus. When the world starts to look shaky, when the foundations of the systems of the world start to shake, that is not scary for those of us who follow Jesus. That's kingdom opportunity for those of us who follow Jesus. Because our neighbors are going to start going, how, how are you still standing? <laughs> how are you doing this? And we get to say, it's not because I've learned some new philosophy that's really awesome. Let me teach you about it. It's not a, oh, I, I joined the right political party. Let me tell you all about it. It's I follow Jesus and he helps me tread on the chaos of this world. And when I keep my eyes on him, it doesn't matter what the waves are doing. I know I'm going to be fine. The church will lose its potency if we lose our trust in Jesus. We're going to lose our potency if we're not brave in the face of what's going on in this world and a bravery that's built on the Holy Spirit. We need that now more than ever. So the question for us today is, what are we building our hope on? Are you building it on the world? Are you really discouraged by the things that you see that are happening because it's actually poking something in your life that you need to surrender to Jesus? It could be. It could be. Let's all stand up. We're going to spend a little bit of time in worship in just a minute. Um, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that, Lord, you, um, you are not weak. <laughs> you are not weak. You are strong. And you're far stronger than anything the enemy can throw at us. And right now, Lord... Maybe some of us in this room are overwhelmed by what the enemy is doing. Lord, I pray that we would see you stronger and bigger than anything the enemy is throwing at us right now. Lord, I pray that as the system of the world starts to look shaky and uncertain, that we wouldn't be shaky and uncertain, but Lord, that we'd build our life on the foundation of the gospel, that we'd build our life on the foundation of the kingdom, that we would build our life on the foundation of your love, Jesus. What a stable place to be. And Lord, I pray that you would strengthen this room, 
that Lord, we wouldn't just make it through this season and, and just kind of suffer our way through it, but Lord, that we would thrive in this season, that we would tread on the chaos of this season so that we could tell other people about Jesus. Help us to see your kingdom more than any other kingdom this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing.